Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Andrew. I'm part of the, the team here at C3, and this morning we're going to carry on in our series entitled, I Believe, uh, where we're going to start to consider uh, some of the uh, contents or the truths of the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is simply a kind of a summary, if you like, one of the earliest summaries of the core beliefs of the Christian church. And uh, we're going to have it up on the screen, I hope, in a minute. But just before we actually sort of read the words, um, can I just mention something very simple, just to bring some clarity to, to something that one or two people have mentioned to me. Listen, when we talk about, uh, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church of today. We're talking about the universal church, okay? So just wanted to clarify that. So, and even though I've asked you to sit down, I'm going to ask you to stand up again. Because we're going to say this creed together. Okay? After three. One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hallelujah. What a great statement of faith that is, isn't it? A, a fantastic summary of, of what uh, Christians believe are the core beliefs that we possess. Okay, this week I want to talk about the second line, if you like, of that creed. And it simply says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Can I just say that the creed in and of itself does not carry the authority of the Bible. Okay, it's not flawless. Bible's flawless. But what we want to do during this series is to use the kind of creed as a bit of a template that points us back to the Bible. So I'm not preaching the creed this morning, I'm preaching the Bible. Okay? I'm not preaching, I'm just using it as a platform to sort of uh, uh, speak about the Bible from. Can I just mention one or two things very quickly, because I think it's, before we go into it in a bit of depth, I, I wanted to just give us a, a rounded picture of what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is a person-centric faith. It's not about fulfilling a set of rules or, or going through a set of rituals. It's a person-centric faith. It rests totally on the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Listen, Christianity itself is not a doing religion. It's a done religion. It's not based on us kind of trying to earn brownie points so we can get our salvation. No, it's based on the finished work of Jesus. We haven't got to impress our God, you know. He is so impressed with us that he's already sent his son to die on a cross for us. Listen, we don't follow a program. We follow a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And that's who we worship this morning. He is ascended. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. And he's going to come back for us. 
the same person that went to heaven is going to come back to us is a God-man in heaven now, and his name is Jesus. And that's who we worship this morning. So let's get that clear, okay, before we start this morning. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If you want to know God, you've got to come through Jesus. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to go through Jesus. It's as simple as that. Christianity is a simple religion, but profound in its implications. Have you noticed how Jesus called people? When he called Peter, he simply said this, follow me. When he called Peter's brother Andrew, he simply said this, follow me. When he called Matthew, he said this, follow me. When he wanted to, to call the, the rich ruler, that, you know, he said this, yeah, sell all your property, give it, to the, give it to the poor, but listen, come, follow me. His charge to all that believe in him was this, take up your cross and follow me. See, at the end of the day, Christian, or being a Christian is all about a follower of Jesus. We, the, 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 the faith of, of Christianity has a focal point, and that focal point is Jesus Christ himself. And we need to be people who follow Jesus, and therefore we need to understand who Jesus is. I don't want to find, follow Jesus blindly. Listen, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is ignorance. God wants us to understand who Jesus is. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I want a bigger, better picture painted of him if I'm going to follow him. So the question that I want to address this morning is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And to help us unpack this question, I want to look at the three names mentioned in that verse that I read out earlier on. I want to look at the name of Jesus, what it means. I want to look at that name, the Son of God, what does that mean? I want to look at the word Lord, what does that mean? I believe as we unpack this, we'll get a bigger picture of who Jesus is, the one that we are following this morning. And I want to major on the first two names, Jesus and the Son of God, because I believe if we can get an understanding and grasp this in our spirit, then the Lordship of Jesus naturally follows. Are you with me? He does not very happy this morning, is it? Because it's sunny out there and not so in here, I don't know. So let's look at the first name, the name of Jesus. This name, I believe, gives us a clue to who he is. I want to talk about Jesus uh, in this section in terms of his humanity, his humanity. See, to you and me, the name Jesus is almost a sacred name, isn't it? You know, very few people in this room, I think, if, if they had a boy, would actually call him Jesus. But you know, in the first century, Jesus was a common name. In fact, it's the, the, the sort of, uh, sort of uh, Greek expression of the Hebrew name Joshua. It was a common name. In fact, during the first century, there was five high priests who were called Jesus. Today, I believe that if Jesus came, his name would be Bob or Andrew or Steve. Now, to some of you, that comes as a bit of a kind of shocking thing to say, doesn't it? And the reason that it's shocking to you is this, because you don't really fully understand the extent of Jesus' humanity. In the name of Jesus, we are meant to see the fullness of his humanity. And I want us to stop just for a moment to breathe in the truth that Jesus was a man just like us. He came and had a human body just like us. He started life on this earth as a single cell embryo just like us. He was born in a normal way. I'm going to say just like us, but I've never had a baby like that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he grew up normally, just like us. He felt pain 
just like us. He bled just like us. And he died just like we will. When he became a man, he had a human body just like ours. But he didn't just have a human body. He had a human heart like us as well. He displayed human emotions. He marveled at the faith of the centurion in Matthew 10. He grieved and he wept over his friend Lazarus because of his death. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, it says his soul was overwhelmed to the point of, of death. Someone once said this about Christ. Christ put on our feelings as well as our flesh. But he didn't just have a body like us and a human heart like this. Listen to this. Now, this is the one that blows my mind. Jesus had a human mind just like us. Now, this is a difficult bit because he's all God, but also all man. So how, how did he do that? Listen, in his human state, he had a human mind just like us. It says in the scripture, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. In other words, he grew in his intelligence and his understanding just like you and I did. In fact, when it comes to the, 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 the time when Jesus was returned, it says this, concerning the day or, or, or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See, he was limited in his understanding. But can I just stress this? Ignorance does not equate to error. Just because he was ignorant, just because he, he had limited understanding as a man about these things, it doesn't mean he was in error. Jesus was never in error. He never was in error. But he, as a man, he had limited understanding. I think these are glorious scriptures. I really do, of the humanity of Jesus. Now, why am I telling you about the humanity of Jesus? Well, I'm telling you about the humanity of Jesus uh, for two reasons. And in fact, I want to give you a two-word answer, really. And if you forget everything else I say this morning, just remember these two words, identification and substitution. Identification and substitution. Let's look at identification for a minute. What do I mean about identification? Well, simply put, it just means this, that Jesus wants us to know that he gets us. Okay, and so the way he did that was to identify himself with us totally. Max Lucado tells a story about a man who was injured really badly in a house fire. In fact, he was so badly injured, uh, he shut himself away. His face was really badly disfigured by the house fire. His wife couldn't reach him at all. He just pushed her away. He wouldn't allow her to look upon his face. He wouldn't allow her to touch him. Uh, and, and he just kept on pushing her away. So embarrassed was he with the, the degree of disfigurement. His wife just longed to touch him again, you know. His wife longed to embrace him. His wife longed to kind of touch him as, as, as they had done before. But every time she made a sort of a step towards him, she pu he pushed her away. She was so desperate in the end that she went to see a plastic surgeon. And on the day that she went to see this plastic surgeon, she sat in the office and she told this plastic surgeon about the fire and how badly disfigured this her husband was and how she desperately wanted to reconnect with him again, to put her arms around him, but how every time she, she approached him, he pushed her away because of the degree of disfigurement that he, he had. A plastic surgeon just sat there with tears rolling down his face. And he said, listen, I'll come and see your husband. I am sure that I can be of assistance to him. No, 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 said the woman. No, 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 you don't understand. 
I don't want you to fix his face. I want you to disfigure mine so I can have a relationship with him again, so that he is at ease in my presence again, so I can touch him again, so that there's no barriers between us. The plastic surgeon, you can imagine what he must have felt like. He, he horrified at it, and he would obviously didn't do it, but he said, I'll go and visit your husband anyway. So he went to visit the husband, and when the husband was told about the extent of his wife's love for him, his heart was melted, and they began to establish that relationship that they had in the past. Do you know, like this woman in this story, I wanna tell you that Jesus wants to connect to us. He longs to walk with us, he longs to talk with us, he longs to do life with us. He longs to, to be part of our life. And the way that he wants to do that is that he's identified himself with us so totally that he wants you to understand that he loves you in a way that only a man can love a woman and a woman can love a man. He wants us to get him and he wants us to understand that he loves us. But unlike this woman in this story, Jesus went the extra mile because Jesus ended up being disfigured for us. The innocent one, the Lamb of God, the one who's never sinned at all, was hanging on a cross with nails in his hands, with a crown of thorn on his head, had a spear rammed into his side. I want to tell you, he was disfigured for us. Jesus gets us because he totally identified himself with us. Because Jesus was a man, he had first-hand experience of what it was like to really battle against temptation. He didn't just have a head knowledge, he had an experiential knowledge of it. He was a man. He had to battle the same way as you and I did, but without sin. He actually tasted the pain of what it was like to be born into a fallen world. A world that rejected him, a world that hated him, a world that crucified him, a world that was indifferent to the lonely, indifferent to the hurting, indifferent to the least. A world, if you like, that was self-orientated rather than other-orientated. Can you imagine the contrast between that and what he enjoyed in that perfect uh, community called the Trinity in heaven? where there was mutual respect for each other, there was love for each other. I want to tell you what a stoop that was to come down. He knows what it's like to be slandered. He knew what, knows what it's like to be misunderstood, abused, and betrayed. Listen, he knows what it's like to be treated like a lump of meat. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Listen, he gets where we are because he's been there. We have a God that gets who we are because he's been there. Listen, when we understand the radical nature of his humanity, that means we can come un into his presence and be honest. We haven't got to pretend because he knows how we feel because he's been there. I believe that Jesus is saying to people this morning, simply this, come to me, come to me. Listen, you will have my listening ear. You haven't got to pretend, you will have my listening ear. You will have my grace. You will have my, uh, my power. You will have my strength. You will have all that you need poured into your life for life and godliness. That's what he's saying. And we haven't got to pretend we can just come as we are. Isn't that good? We haven't got to bring our Sunday best to Jesus. We just bring ourselves. No embarrassment. Simply because he's been there. Because he understands us. He gets us. 
Have you ever felt exhausted? Listen, Jesus has been there. He was so exhausted that he fell asleep on a boat on a rough, stormy day. I don't know about you, I could never sleep on a boat on a rough, stormy day. I'd be up the top of the deck, throwing over the side. That's where I'd be, right? But Jesus was so exhausted that he was in the middle of a storm in a boat and he slept. He was exhausted. Listen, if, if, the, if the demands of the world are, are crushing you now, today, and you feel exhausted, let me tell you this. He knows where you are. He's been there. He's been there. He gets you. If you have loved ones who are deeply resistant to receiving the gospel message, I want to tell you, Jesus' own family thought he was mad. In fact, his brother James only came to know Jesus, his brother, as his savior after the resurrection. So if you're having a hard time witnessing to your family, I want to tell you, you feel a bit discouraged, let me say this. Jesus knows the situation because he's been there. He gets you. He gets how you're feeling about that. He gets your frustration about that. And he says, just keep on going. James came through, and so will your family. Is your future so dark that you can hardly bear to think about it? In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Overwhelmed with sorrow. Do you know, when we're in that dark place, and we feel that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything seems bleak, I want to tell you, Jesus knows it, because he's been there. He really has, he's been there. Have you ever felt without hope that God is so far away from you, you can't reach you and he can't see you? Have you felt like that? Listen, on the cross, when Jesus really needed his father to come close to him and deposit some peace and hope and speak some good things into his life at that point in time, do you know what Jesus cried out? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment in time, that, that sort of intimate knowledge of the Father was broken. So he knows well, when you are suffering because you can't actually kind of see God or feel God and he seems so different, uh, distant from you, I want to tell you he understands it because he's been there and he gets you. We haven't got to pretend before our God. He gets us. You know, we can say many things about Jesus, but I can tell you this, friends, you can never say he doesn't understand us. He's in his humanity, he gets us. He's not indifferent to our plight. In his humanity, it doesn't sort of mean that he just knows about it. He's experienced it. I don't know about yourself, but I want to get to know a Savior that experienced life like I've done. I really, I can trust a Savior that has done that. Let me give you the second word. Second word is substitution. Second word is substitution. On the cross, Jesus took our place. N not your neighbor's place, your place. Not your place alone, my place. The punishment that was meant for us was what? Re um, given and placed upon Jesus. Your sin, my sin, my family's sin, your family's sin, the community's sin, the nation's sin. Sin right back in history, the present sin, and sin right into the future. It was all placed on the shoulders of Christ Jesus. The weight of the whole world's sin on one single human being. God, he was disfigured for us, wasn't he, eh? He was disfigured for us. See, he was a man, and he was our substitute. On that cross, he endured enormous physical, emotional, and spiritual pain for you and I. 
he was our substitute. Without his humanity, Jesus could never be our perfect substitute, could he? He had to be fully human in order to be our substitute. If, if, he, wasn't our, if he wasn't human, then his sacrifice would make no sense. No sense at all. He couldn't stand in our stead. He couldn't actually take on man's sin, a man's sorrow, a man's shame, a man's guilt. No, he had to be fully human, just like you and I. It was the first man, Adam, that ruined the whole history of mankind, but it was the last man, Adam, Jesus Christ, who was also fully man, that reconciled us, that restored us, that redeemed us. I tell you, friends, this is basic stuff, isn't it? Isn't it good to know? Doesn't it increase your understanding and awe and reverence of who Jesus is? It does for me. His humanity adds to our confidence regarding our final destiny. Let me say this. Jesus died as a man. He rose again as a man. And now in heaven is a man. And his name is Jesus. He's the God-man. And he's in the Godhead. And therefore, I don't know about yourself, but I'm thinking, do you know what? He says that where he is, I will be also. It increases my confidence that I'm not going to just end my life in a box six feet down or in some kind of creme somewhere. No. I have confidence with this, that because there's a man in the Godhead, that's my destiny as well. My father's house, he says, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, and you also, so that you also may be where I am. What a great promise. Uh, our son Richard has just bought a house in London, and um, he could only afford a really derelict ex-council house that had been rented out for a decade or so, and it was in such a poor state, it was unbelievable. You know, the guy had uh, got carpets all downstairs, and, in, and he put laminate on top of the carpet, so it looks nice until you walk on it, and it's just like walking on the sea. And, um, but, I mean, that's the state of the house, and when we pulled the laminate up, the carpet was, he didn't even, he didn't even clean the carpet, it was just horrible. Uh, we skipped it all and everything. You know, I'm okay at DIY. But my DIY will not win any awards. But when I consider that Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare heaven, can you imagine what kind of place that's going to be? Hey, it says, it says in the Bible that the pavements are gold. Do you know, myself and Richard, we had some second-hand slabs to build a patio. By the time we got them in the back of the barn and in the back of the garden, most of them are cracked. But in heaven, I tell you, the pavements are of gold. But you know, the best thing about heaven is that Jesus will be there. Heaven is where Jesus is. Heaven is where his presence is. And we will, we will enter into that wonderful presence of Jesus for eternity. That's what heaven's all about. And because there's a man there, I have greater confidence that I'll be there one day as well. The humanity of Jesus is an important thing for us to grasp. And I just say this as well about Jesus' humanity. In his humanity, I believe Jesus has lifted the concept of humanity. I believe that we've misunderstood what it means to be fully human. You see, Jesus shows us what humanity was intended to be. He really did. In his life, he painted a different kind of picture of humanity than anybody else that walked on planet Earth. See, we have a saying in the world, to err is human. I want to tell you, to err is not human. To err is sin. To err is fallen. To err is to allow the enemy into our lives. When God created us, he didn't create us so that we can err. 
created us to be perfect like unto him. And when Jesus came, I want to tell you, he painted a picture of what humanity really ought to look like. And now he's in heaven as a man. And I want to tell you, when we get to heaven, we'll become more human, not less human. We'll become like unto him. I don't know about yourself, but this is the sort of stuff that really thrills my soul. It thrills my soul. In Jesus Christ, we see the condescension of divinity, but the exaltation of humanity. Oh, I want to tell you, Jesus' humanity is so absolutely essential to his work as a savior. We need to embrace the fact that in Christ Jesus, we have a God who is fully man. Hallelujah. Let me give you the second name. The second name is this, Son of God. Son of God. If the first name Jesus points to his humanity, I want to suggest that the second name, Son of God, actually points to his divinity. Listen, Jesus was fully human and fully divine. He was fully human and also fully God. In Jesus, humanity and divinity came together in one person. He, listen, he wasn't part human and part uh, uh, God. He was all human and all God. He was 100% God and 100% man. Now, I don't know about yourself, that blows my mind. I can't grasp that. I can't grasp the, the meaning of that in its entirety. And I'm glad I can't because he's God. I want a God that I can't fully grasp. I want a God that's beyond me. I want a God that's bigger than me. I want a God who can say things and do things that I can't understand and, and can't get to know. He's a bigger God than we are. In Jesus, humanity and deity, her earth and heaven, eternity and time, came together uniquely and staggeringly in a mysterious way in the person of Lord Jesus Christ. There's a song, I'm not going to sing it. Okay, what a mystery, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity in perfect harmony. You know, that, that's, the word, that's, that's the one that we're worshiping this morning. That's the one who, who we are following. I love the creed because it says this, and it, in, it inserts a little word. It says, God's only son, the word only. In other words, it says, listen, the relationship between Jesus and his father is a unique relationship. Jesus is uniquely related, if you like, uh, to, to his father. He's a, it's a one-off kind of relationship. And when we use that word son of God, what we mustn't do is this. We mustn't sort of assume that it literally means that Jesus was the offspring of God. Okay? It doesn't mean that. In the, in the scriptures, the word son often is used uh, in the meaning of possessing someone's nature, possessing the nature of someone. And what it actually says here in context is this, it says that Jesus is the only son of God, and in that, it's saying that he possesses the very nature of God. And we know from Philippians 2 that not only did he possess the nature of God, but he was God in and of himself. The Bible says that in the beginning was God, and God was with God, and God was God. Jesus is the God-man. Now, yes, we too are daughters and sons of the living God. In fact, the Bible tells us that his, his love was so lavished upon us that he called us children of God. But there was a time when we weren't children of God. Listen, I became a child of God. Okay, when I asked Jesus into my life, I asked Jesus to forgive my sin, and I asked Jesus then to come into, into my life as, his Lord, as, my, as my Lord. And I, at that moment, 
I was adopted into his family. There was a moment when I was outside the family, but there, that moment when I surrendered and yielded myself to Christ and asked him to forgive my sin, he brought me into his family. One moment I was an orphan, the next moment I was a child of God. One moment I was Andrew Harris and my natural family was skint and broke and lived in Swansea. And the next moment I was actually a child of the king. I was royalty. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's what God has done for us. And not only has he meant I'm royalty, he says, I'm a co-heir with Christ Jesus. That means, listen, everything that Christ has as out of his relationship to God is now accessible to me. I'm amazed. A little boy from Swansea who's losing his hair and short-sighted, and now I'm actually sort of in a place where I can receive everything I need for life and godliness through my relationship in Christ Jesus as part of his family. That's amazing, isn't it? This is what it's like to be a Christian. This is what it's like to be a Christian. I have access to God. I, have a, I can have the wisdom of God. I can walk in the power of God. That's why it says I lack no good thing in him. That's why it says I have everything that I need for life and godliness in him. I'm a part of his family. I'm a prince. Woo. I'm a prince. Listen, I'm a prince from Wales. Hallelujah. Hey. You might be thinking this morning, well, that's really good, Andrew, you know, that, you know, that we're children of God. And, and how, how do we know that, God is, uh, that Jesus is, in fact, God? How do we know? Well, I could list all the prophecies in the New Old Testament and show you how Jesus fulfilled them. That would take us forever. But rather than that, I wanted to look at what Jesus said about himself. Because if Jesus said certain things about himself and they weren't true then that would lead me to a certain conclusion. And it would be the conclusion would be something like this. He's either a liar or a madman, or what he actually says is actually true. He made some amazing claims concerning himself, Jesus did, you know. He said this, he said, angels obey me. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He claims that he has been given the right to judge all of mankind. He said he, is, he has the power to take his life and to raise himself again from the dead. He claimed to have power to raise people from the dead. And he did that, didn't he, with Lazarus? He claimed that he was one with God. He said this, I and the Father are one. He claimed that he's the giver of eternal life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I tell you, these are stupendous claims, aren't they? But anybody, in one sense, can just make a few claims. But the wonderful thing about Jesus, he went on to substantiate the claims by doing things that only God himself can do. Do you know when John the Baptist was imprisoned, um, he had a moment of doubt, and he sent a, a message to, to Jesus, and he said, you know, are you the one uh, who was to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus sent a message back. And he said this, tell him about the fact that the blind see, that the lame walk, that the deaf hear, that the lepers are cleansed, and that the dead are raised. I want to tell you, those are miraculous things, aren't they? Only the Son of God can do that. So let me just say to you this. At the end of the day, if what he said, 
he then substantiated, it must mean a few things to us. Surely it, surely it means that God, uh, Jesus, was not just a good man. It surely must mean that Jesus was not merely a prophet or a teacher. Surely it must mean that he was, in fact, the Son of God himself. God incarnate. You don't look too happy about that. I don't believe that. I, I love the fact that I have a God who's all human and all, and all divine at the same time. It's fantastic. You know, I asked the question about why should we um, uh, understand and grasp the humanity of Jesus. I want to ask you the same question about his divinity. Why, why should it be important that we understand and grasp the divinity of Jesus Christ? Well, let me say this. First of all, it sets Christianity apart from every other so-called world religions. Other religions have gods with a small g uh, and holy men, but only Christianity has a holy God-man. Someone who is fully God and fully man, coexisting in the same body and in perfect symmetry. It's set apart from everything else, from every other religion. No other religion claims to have a holy God-man who is 100% God and 100% man. Now listen, I know that Jesus is not the exclusive revelation of God because the scripture tells us that nature itself shouts out who God is. The stars proclaim his glory. But I want to say this to you this morning. He might not be the exclusive, but he is the conclusive. He is the conclusive revelation of who God really is. If you want to know who God is, then you need to look to Jesus. If you know how, want to know how God thinks, then look to Jesus. If you want to know how God feels about circumstances, then look to Jesus. If you want to know how God will act in circum certain circumstances, then you look to Jesus. Jesus is the final and ultimate conclusive a revelation of, G of God himself. There's no other coming down the line. It's Jesus and him alone. Jesus, it said, limited himself by becoming fully human. But Jesus did not lessen himself as he remained fully God. And he needed to be fully God in order to complete our salvation. How else could he pay the price for the sin of the world? The sacrifice needed was an infinite sacrifice. If he was just a man, then I want to tell you he's part of the problem, not part of the solution. He really is. He would have been part of the problem, not part of the solution. No, there had to be an essential difference between Jesus and the rest of humanity, and there was, because Jesus was fully man, but also fully God. And because of that, he actually could pay the price for us. That means that our salvation is free to us because he pays the ultimate price. God gave himself in Christ Jesus to pay for us. That's marvelous, isn't it? It also means that we have a perfectly fitted mediator between God and man. See, because Jesus is both divine and human, it actually means that he can reconcile us to God. Let me give you an illustration. Say there's two people, A and B, and previously A and B got on really well with each other, but somehow or other something's cropped in and they've had an argument and they've fallen out, and now A won't speak to B because A thinks it's B's fault, and B won't speak to A because it's, a, it's A's fault. Have you been there? Yeah. <laughs> How are we going to reconcile A and B? The only way that we can reconcile A and B is to have a mediator, a go-between, if you like. So what would be the qualities of a go-between in that circumstance? 
I would suggest A and B had to be known by the mediator. I, I would suggest that A would have to trust the mediator. I suspect that B also would have to trust the mediator. Otherwise, they couldn't kind of work together. He, they, he couldn't be rec they couldn't reconcile. They, they had to know, the, the mediator had to know A and B, and, and the mediator had to have the trust of A and B. Do you agree? Listen, Jesus is our perfect mediator. He knows God, and he knows us. Why? Because he is God, and he was fully human. Isn't that amazing? He's the perfect reconciler. And that's why the scripture talks about us only having one mediator between man and God, the God-man Christ Jesus. That's why the scripture says there's no other name given to man under the heavens by which we must be saved other than the precious name of Jesus. Hey, guys, we need to elevate the name of Jesus, don't we? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Hallelujah. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. His divine stoop was amazing. This is a man, who, uh, a God who left heaven, left the perfect sort of uh, uh, relationship with his father, left, left the awesome Trinitarian community in order to walk upon planet Earth. He was the man who willingly limited his limitlessness so that he could become fully human. Do you know what? That's where love is. That's where your worth is. That's where your value is in that divine stoop that God made from heaven to come to earth. Right. I tell you what, friends, we are precious in his sight. We really are. And what should our response be? Surely he should bow the knee. Surely we should lift up his name and proclaim Jesus over this place. Let me say finally, the other word that is used to describe, or the other name that's used to describe Jesus is that word Lord. Now, if you like, emphasizes his sovereignty. His sovereignty. His Lordship over our life. So when we actually say, Jesus Christ, the, the, the only Son of God, our Lord, we actually say, Lord, I accept your sovereignty into my life. I accept your Lordship. The problem is we all love to see Jesus as our Savior, as someone to come and cleanse us and kind of sort our, our, our lives out at that point in time. But how often do we really want him to be Lord of our life? Lord of our life. In control of our life. Sovereign over our life. I want to say this kindly. Do you know, there's some of us here that we have been our own king of our own life for far too long. We've acted as a king in our own, of our own life. And I want to ask you this, has it brought you satisfaction? Has it brought us joy? Does it ever bring us a sense of peace and fulfillment? I want to tell you the answer is no. So I want to suggest something to you this morning. Something very simple. How about exchanging one king for a better king. Listen, not the king that you've got in your head, not a tyrant king, but the king that left heaven for you, a king that died on the cross for you, the king that's taken our sin, a, a king that actually bears already the scars in his hand and has a hole in his side in heaven as a constant reminder of his love for us. That kind of king I can serve. That's the kind of king I can serve. And the wonderful thing is this, friends, when he calls us into his kingship and into his lordship, he equips us with all the authority that we need for life. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. The ambassador, 
Christ Jesus is sending us out into this world to battle for him, not without him, but with him in us. For greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. That's what the scripture says. No weapon formed against us shall prevail. He has broken the power of the enemy over our lives and he is reigning in us and through us and he wants us to be a people that absolutely make a difference. The thing is, friends, half of us are quite content to have him as a savior but not as Lord and he wants us to function under his lordship. I want to tell you, that's how you get an exciting life. That's how you get a full life. It's not by just being saved and thinking, oh, I'll come to church every day. Yeah, but that's not what it's about. It's about asking Jesus to come and become Lord of our life. Do you know, so many people here, you've limited what God wants to do in your life. You've limited him to that Savior, but he wants to be the Lord. He wants to be sovereign. He wants to use you to see his kingdom come, to see something of his rule and reign established not just in your life but your family life your work life your community life the nation I want to tell you that's what God wants from us you know for so long as a church the church in this country we've lived in a silo we swallowed the narrative of the world which simply says listen you're not really that important you're peripheral to the needs of the world the Bible doesn't teach that the Bible says this we are the head and not the tail we are the hope of the world because Christ Jesus the one who is fully man and fully God is living in us I want to tell you friends we need to get excited about this stuff because Jesus has come for such a time as this to raise up a church that's worthy of him that's what it's about he's loved us so much he's done all this for us and friends our life should be a life of gratitude our life should be a life where we discover our voice and begin to proclaim the power and the wonder of the love of Jesus to the lost in this city Yes, we have to be like lambs. We have to love people. But I tell you what, we need to start roaring like a lion. Because within us is a power to see lives transformed. We are his hands and legs and feet. We are his mouthpiece today. And if we don't rise up and do this stuff, who's going to do it, guys? Who's going to do it? You know, Jesus put all his eggs in one basket. church I dare you to rise up I dare you to take on board some of the stuff that I've said this morning this is theology 101 that I've shared this morning I tell you if we just grasp some of this stuff it will transform our life it will transform your family life and who knows it can transform this nation thank you very much